worms crawl in, the worms crawl out. They'll eat your guts and spit them out. And when your bones begin to rot, the worms remain, but you do not. So don't ever laugh as a hearse goes by. For someday you'll be next in line. And when death brings his cold despair, ask yourself, will anyone care? Macabre may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, friends. I'm Blair. I'm Hallie. It is good to be back for the fourth episode, but still, yes. even though it's our fourth time, please, please, please be gentle with us. We're getting closer, I think. We're working out Heck the yeah. tweaks a little bit, so. Just a wee bit. We've had some technical difficulties this morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way that you learn. I mean, spilling your yeah. coffee is, <laughs> I don't know if that counts as a technical <laughs> difficulty, but it does make things difficult. <laughs> Hey, as long as it didn't destroy my vinyls. So you ready to talk about some shit today? Yeah, what do you have for us? Well, I uh, I apologize, but not really. I'm a huge Dracula fan. Just a mega nerd. <laughs> and I'm going to be nerding all over the fucking place today. So bear with me. For anybody that's probably rolling your eyes right now, uh, just know that you're probably going to learn something new today. I hope. And if you already knew this, yeah. I want to hear about it. And I want you to tell me something I don't know. I guarantee you that I'm going to learn some things that I didn't know. <laughs> I've read the book. I've read Bram Stoker's Dracula. I actually have it in my Kindle app. And yes. the a movie, I remember seeing that back in the day. Um, Which one? It, well, the one with Keanu Reeves. And it still oh, disturbs yeah. me to this day. So I don't oh. know if you're planning to get into that. But um. We can so. talk about it because yeah. I'm not going to lie. There are a lot of people that don't necessarily like that movie, but I love that fucking movie. I think it's very artistically horrific. Yeah. Um, it's so artistic. I just love it. And I love that it, you know, it, it came out in 92 and that's kind of when horror was kind of transforming into something different. Obviously, in the 90s, you had Scream and shit like that. And uh, Coppola really did a great job of trying to harness that classic horror feel that I am in love with. I love black and white horror films. I always have. And I think that how he created the movie was excellent. And that probably... <laughs> I'm going to just lay out some confessions. It was probably my sexual awakening. I'm not going to lie. Uh, okay. Huge, huge crush of Gary Oldman. <laughs> okay. So I have to say it came out in 92. I would have been 12. I'm yeah. definitely giving my age away here. I was born in 80. Um, That I think is one of the more disturbing things to me is that I would have seen it around the time of going through puberty and yeah. I remember I don't even know who let me watch it to be honest because during that time we were pretty religious and mm -hmm. I just remember like 
what am I watching? <laughs> what is happening? You know what I mean? I feel like there was a lot of sexuality in in that movie and I think in the book too, but yeah. We're going to talk a little bit about that as well. Uh, my mom let me watch it because she was a big fan also <laughs> of the movie. But um, there were a couple of times where she goes, don't look at that. Nope, we don't watch this scene. You can go in the kitchen, get some water, you know. But I, I kind of was like peeking around the corner like, oh, oh <laughs> Mr. Longhair. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, when I was a kid, I was like, whoa. And then the 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 phrase, I've crossed oceans of time to find you. Mm. Boy, yes, please. I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's every woman's dream. Heck yeah, it is. So yeah, um, I'm into the scrawny string bean, long-haired, nice jawline men. Uh, so that, that's been a problem. And I think that's where it all, it all started, to be honest. But I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's not my favorite, you know, Bella Lugosi. Oh, I'm not, I'm not shitting on Bella Lugosi. I love Bella Lugosi. Uh, Christopher Lee also, yes. Um, uh, it's just something about the 92 version that gets me every time. That is probably <laughs> my favorite movie. But... <laughs> I digress. I digress. But I like that we talked about this sexual tension because we're going to bring that up later with the whole um, paranoia involved with this novel. I'm and so excited. My little my little intro to hopefully get everybody excited besides the probably turned a lot of people off when I said, oh, Gary Oldman was <laughs> sexual <laughs> awakening. You know? No, don't turn it off. You're going to be very excited. <laughs> so you think you know the infamous man with the fangs? There's more to the classic horror story than just blood and mists. Join us as we talk about Stoker's odd past, London's paranoia, and the legend of the 10th student. It's a bloody good time. Yes. I've been waiting for this. Heck yeah. And I'm going to nerd everywhere, just so you guys know. We probably have to start with a summary of the novel before we really get into it. For those of you who haven't read the book or just kind of have skimmed through it or watched a movie, I'm just going to summarize it up because it's going to come into it later. And also read the book if you haven't read the book. Oh my gosh, Put yes. that in your Kindle right now. Please do. It is my favorite classic horror novel of all time. I am not biased. I might be a little biased, but not really, just fucking read it. So it starts with Jonathan Harker traveling to Transylvania to meet the mysterious count that has purchased property in London to help him get his affairs in order. Upon Jonathan's return, he and Mina Murray will be married. Until then, Mina spends much of her time with her best friend Lucy, who has fallen into a very odd state of illness. Her suitors, Jack Stewart, Quincy Morris, and Lord Arthur Homewood all band together to cure her, but not without the help of Dr. Van Helsing, Jack's old teacher. In the time that Mina doesn't hear from Jonathan, Lucy chooses Arthur to be her husband, grows very ill, and dies promptly before they are married. <laughs> After much investigating, Van Helsing concludes that Lucy's demise was the result of a vampire. Things get freakier 
and mysterious in London as Count Dracula makes his acquaintance with a foreign land full of industry and science advancement. Mina has to go to a gunfend in Budapest where Jonathan escaped to from the castle where he was being kept. While they were away, they wed and they rested there and they found out that Lucy had passed while they were there. The married couple comes back to England to band together with Van Helsing and the three men who swooned over Lucy to rid the world of Dracula's evil. The story concludes with the band of friends killing Dracula in Romania on his own soil, but in the process they lose their friend Quincy. They have to come back to to London in order to live out the rest of their lives. You made me want to read it again. Oh, thank you. You could have written. You could have written the, um, what do you call that, the synopsis for the book? (laughs) Don't tempt me with a good time? I think that would be a really good career. (laughs) No, you have to do this. (laughs) (laughs) I have to do this? Heck yeah, I do. I apologize if things are kind of coming over like wah, 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 wah. I'm a little little congested, and I didn't really realize it until just now. That's okay. It's this time of year, you know? Oh my gosh, too. It's super dry. For people who... For people who are listening, we start our recordings really early. I'm on the mm-hmm. West Coast and Blair is in the Midwest. Yep. And yeah, so we start really, really early in the morning. Yeah, but it's good. It's a great way to start the morning. So now that we know kind of the broadest overview of the novel that anybody could have given, we have to know that there was a lot of controversy with the novel. For a lot of different reasons, actually. Let's start with the paranoia part, because I think this plays a major factor in the timing of this novel. Uh, The publisher actually didn't want Stoker's book at first, because this came out six years after the Jack the Ripper cases in Whitechapel. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of odd because it makes you wonder, like, how how was he influenced by that? Mm-hmm. And people were still so paranoid because obviously we still don't know who it was to even to this day. And a lot of people were not about the gruesomeness that came with the unknown in London and in England in general. But we had kind of hinted at this earlier. It also kind of was this odd sexual awakening for people because we're talking about the time where ankles were scandalous. Yeah. And there was more than ankles involved. <laughs> okay. So I, I, of course I knew that you were covering this topic, but I didn't dig too deeply into it. So I do have a question for you before we yeah. move on. So I read somewhere that Bram Stoker and Oscar Wilde were really good friends. And am I right in saying that there was a woman that kind of came in between them and Stoker ended up marrying the woman? Oh, yeah. And there was kind of an ongoing scandal a little bit, but they still maintained their friendship. But then later there was a question about the relationship kind of between the two men as well there is am i okay okay you are correct in that i haven't really seen a lot of research based on 
uh, Bram and Oscar's relationship after he married Oscar's ex. Uh, Bram was in love with Oscar's girlfriend at the time when they were really, really chummy. And we kind of know how Oscar is. Wild. It's a good last name for him. He really was free. Yeah. 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 And his girlfriend loved him a lot. And when it came down to it, it was like, look, ah, you've been cool, but I'm moving on. And Bram was like, oh, come to me, please. Like, I will love you. Forget Oscar. You know, he didn't sound like that. I'm just being dramatic. But uh, <laughs> they, they ended up marrying. But a lot of reports say that she never really got over Oscar. And it kind of caused a little bit of heat between the two guys. And they've always been chummy, but that kind of made things weird after a little while. But I would be very interested to look more into their relationship after the marriage took place. It was a couple years. Well, and then Oscar got arrested. So, yeah. Some really crazy stuff. Just wait till our other episodes where we talk about authors. There's so much drama. <laughs> yeah. So much drama. There wasn't really much else to do at that at those times. So <laughs> it kind of makes sense that they have these little inner circles and, yeah. you know, so. I mean, but... when your excitement is ankles, where can you really go? <laughs> and that was another reason why the the book was like super like scandalous because oh we're moving from ankles to necks people oh my gosh and there's mouths on necks mm, burning <laughs> like a whore in church that's what they kept no they didn't say that but it very very scandalous so there was a lot of paranoia with that too because people were reading it and going oh my this is kind of interesting you know so i have a feeling that things had stemmed after that novel was released <laughs> Yeah, but and that's talking... true with any good novel is like how <laughs> true any good novel that shapes and changes the culture. And obviously the two leading women in this book, one was very sexual and free and the other was yes. very much a proper lady and conforming to society. So, right. Yeah. And even with Mina being a conformer at the same time, she was given a lot of liberties and they kept saying in the like uh, Seward's and Van Helsing's journals, they kept talking about how uh, if Mina were a man, she would still be extremely distinguished. Like she has a man's brain. They kept, ma- you know, making note of that. And it's like, she can have her own damn brain. Like <laughs> she was just very well educated. And obviously she was a school teacher before she went to, Mary Jonathan, but also the the whole drama with Dracula. So we have to, I'm glad that you brought that up. We have to really acknowledge that, yeah, you had the two spectrums. You had Lucy, who was, I've got three suitors and I'm going to work with this. And then you've got Mina, who's like, oh, I'm going to stick with my books and uh, <laughs> studious and not so studious in the other ways. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love it. I love how you really get to see different personalities throughout each character. And I love how they wrote it out in journal entries and stuff. It, it, mm, I'm nerding. I need to stop. <laughs> Going back to controversies. When 
uh, Stoker tried to get this published. He had a hell of a time. He was very restricted in England when this was published in 1897. And the, the publisher made him scrap the first 101 pages because of the content was so risky. And it, saying that this would just regenerate the mass hysteria that came from the murders in Whitechapel, Jack the Ripper. And it had just concluded six years prior to this being published. Bram obviously was not happy about that. And he tried to look elsewhere also for his first edition publishing. Iceland took him on. Kudos, Iceland. We love you. They allowed way more freedoms when it came to publishing. But there were certain liberties that were taken in Iceland. But still, where the hell did the first 101 pages go? That's what I want to see. Yeah, me too. And this is a little eerie. Because when it came down to Iceland's first edition, it had recently been translated, actually. It hadn't been for years, but it was recently. And we don't have a lot. It's very vague. We don't have a lot of information, but still, the first 101 pages was not in there. They allowed him to publish a little preface in the beginning that they didn't allow him to do in England. And... It quotes out as, I am quite convinced that there is no doubt whatever that the events here described really took place, however unbelievable and incomprehensible they might appear at first sight. And I am further convinced that they must always remain to some extent incomprehensible. And then he went on to claim that many of the characters in his novel were actually real people. The quote continues on saying, All the people who have willingly or unwillingly played a part in this remarkable story are known generally and well-respected. Both Jonathan Harker and his wife, who is a woman of character, and Dr. Seward are my friends and have been for many years. I have never doubted that they are telling. I have never doubted that they were telling the truth. Do you think that's a publicity thing or... Is, is it the, possible? Exactly. Um, it's It's been debated for years that are you just a really good marketer buddy or mm-hmm. did this really happen? And when Stoker went to England to really sell his book, he was very dead set with the publisher to not have this published as fiction. He's like, this happened. This was true. And the guy's like, I don't know, dude. And they refused him a lot of liberties. Iceland didn't let him have full reign either, but he was so restricted in England. And that's how the first 101 pages got scrapped. In fact, more happened to the book than just getting that first chunk scrapped out. The version that we have available to us today is very sugar-coated compared to what Bram originally had drafted. The epilogue has been shortened. Dracula's demise has changed. And, of course, we need to know that in the beginning of the book that we know, Jonathan Harker is traveling to Transylvania. That was already through the thick of it in the original draft. Okay. Which is really weird. So kind of checking in, almost 100 years later, in the 1980s, the original manuscript was found in a barn in Pennsylvania. Nobody knows how it got there. Wow. That'd be interesting to trace the like the owner of 
that property and yeah to try to you know backtrack to see where that came from right it's it's interesting what could have played into this um there's a lot of weird conspiracies on this as well uh what we need to know though is paul allen who's a co-founder of microsoft is now the owner of the manuscript and unfortunately the manuscript starts on page 102. Oh no. Yeah. So it's like, dude, who has the first 100 pages? Yeah. Or does he have it and it's just and never it's, been just, made public? Right. Be- because if you have that much money, you're rich, you're like, this belongs to me. Like, yeah. I don't want, I could see someone being like, I don't want anyone else to have right. access. This is my little, my little piece. Secret. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And then another thing that's kind of creepy is the scene in the book where they talk about the shipwreck. And there was mysterious things that happened, no survivors and a mysterious black dog. Well, Bram actually took that from a true story. It only happened a few years before uh, Bram started writing the book and doing the research. So in the book, the ship is called the Dimitri. In real life, the ship was called the Demeter. It, it really happened. It was a huge story in England. And when, so kind of some parallels on this, the ship was coming from Varna, uh, Eastern port in Europe, just like in the book. And guess what the cargo was? Crates of Earth. Okay, that's Legit. weird. It is weird. Why Why would anyone <laughs> pack up dirt? Yeah, right. I mean, you're either really eccentric and <laughs> that I, I could see wanting to have like a piece of your homeland, but why crates of it? Yeah. Is it for growing crops? Like what, what is the reason behind that? Right. <laughs> My brain is like, let's pull out all the random reasons it could be. Yeah, exactly. And I- I've thought about this for a while and I just don't understand why it needed to be more than even one crate seems like quite a, a bit. When you think about what crates, the size of regular crates were back in the day mm. and the ship crashed on the shore, just like in the book. But in real life, there were a few survivors uh, when rescuers came to the scene to help out. All had reported seeing a black dog an irregular black dog and all of their accounts match together. Uh, the black dog had been seen coming out of the hull of the ship, running up the beach, like a bat out of hell. And there was like a very steep incline of stairs to get up and onto the land. And I guess it just ran like the fucking wind. Uh, and once it got into the mainland, it disappeared into a graveyard that was up there on St. Mary's Church's grounds. That's a common thing you hear, too. Something, yeah. a connection with the black dogs and cemeteries. Right. And it's like, okay, how would a dog? I think you're going to find this next part really interesting and maybe chilling because I think there's some parallels to things that we have talked about before. <laughs> That's my, so... trust me, my brain already went there, so... <laughs> Okay, cool, because as soon as I was like, dude, 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 I gotta tell you about this. So everybody that reported this black dog said that it was a bar guest, which a bar guest in British folklore 
is a goblin-esque dog with really large teeth and claws. Uh, they were documented sometimes having their feet pointing backwards and having very large red eyes with a very distinct and horrifying howl. Hellhound? Yeah. 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 Um, it was said that the bar guest looked quite monstrous and like no other dog that exists. And those who saw it in full would die. And those who merely caught a glimpse of it would die in a few months. Now, none of the re the rescuers perished, but I don't know if they were seeing the eyes or not. I don't know. But I just thought that was a very interesting, mm -hmm. weird parallel. Yeah. So he took a very terrifying story in itself from a real article in the newspaper and collaborated it into what he was already researching and he had already had a lot of content when it came to writing this book but he didn't know where to really start with referencing the character Dracula <laughs> and this is where everybody's gonna be like ah yes we know this but he got inspired by Vlad Tepes III Vlad the Impaler he had given it to this individual because when he was researching in the different libraries he's like yeah this guy is pretty intense he could he could fit the bill so let's talk a little bit of background on Vlad he was born in 1431 he died in 1476 he was assassinated which anybody who knows anything about Romanian history is not surprised by that because it was very cutthroat it was the ultimate real game of king of the hill <laughs> not only did you have the Hungarians, the Ottomans, you had your own damn family trying to kill you to get on top to have the title. Real life Game of Thrones? Hell yeah. It was very gruesome. And even if you claimed victory and gained your title, that wasn't to say that you were safe. <laughs> Some people only lasted a few months. I mean, it was an intense time. We know that he is now known as Vlad the Impaler. He was a prince of Wallachia. And there's some interesting correlations with how Bram kind of took liberties with some things, but it's very interesting how they kind of link together. So here's some definitions of how his nickname kind of came to be. So Draculaea means little dragon, which Vlad was often called when he was a child. And it means son of Dracul or Draco, which means dragon in Latin. His father was actually in the Order of the Dragon, which was created by the Holy Roman Empire. And that was because of the threat of the Ottomans. They were kind of having their own crusade at the time. And it, it is no, no surprise that the Ottomans were their biggest enemy besides the Hungarians. But something really interesting to think about, Dracola in Irish means bad blood. So he I was, think I remember reading that as well. Yeah. Stoker's witty. He did his research. He did. He's a very good researcher. And he saw that Vlad had a really rough childhood, and there was a lot of reasons why Vlad became who he was. So I think that's why he was ultimately like, yeah, he kind of, he would work for my character. Uh, Vlad was surrounded by enemies his entire life, including his own family. He adopted a cruel nature to strike fear into his enemies and respect from his people. 
which is how he got the name Impaler, because he had to keep up a tough exterior and image in order to kind of protect himself from the other dangers that, you know, who's going to yeah, get just today? The world around him. I mean, that's, I mean, that's classic, like <laughs> mafia and cartel and, right? you know, you have to strike fear into your enemies. Exactly. And at a very young age, he became a prisoner of the Ottoman court under the Sultan Murad II. And by the time he was 16, both his father and brother were assassinated. So he spent his whole life trying to gain his rightful title. And he won it, and then he lost it again. (laughs) Um, And if it weren't for this, Vlad would not have, for this book, I should say, uh, Vlad would not have been very famous. He kind of went down in history and was documented like any other brutal monarch was. And it wasn't until Dracula that he became like this ultimate huge historical figure, kind of like Genghis Khan. We kind of see him in the same light. And with that being said, um, based on Stoker's notes, he really only used the name Dracula as the character. He didn't use it for the concept, though, of his archetypal vampire. It didn't derive from the Romanian. Remember that. It was already from things that he had other notes on, which I'm going to get into something that I'm kind of figuring not a lot of people know about because it wasn't really mentioned in the book that much, but it's a very interesting superstition in Romanian culture. And that's the shalomancy. Have you heard of it before? No, but it Ugh. sounds very, it sounds very Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, well, it kind of is. Kind of is. So Bram Stoker also drew up this component for Dracula because he pulled it from Romanian folklore in his research. And it is said that the shalomancy is a dark school of magic. And it's in some weird location in Transylvania where people are either chosen or even kidnapped by a wizard to learn the ways of weather, animals, and magic. How do I sign up for that? <laughs> I think you got to get kidnapped by a wizard. <laughs> hey, I would be, be down. like, you're a wizard, Halle. And I would be down for you. that. What if it worked out that way? Oh, I don't know. You should wait till you hear the rest of this. This is okay. Okay. It's weird. It's really weird, especially when we we kind of chatted about something earlier that hmm, I have I have a theory, but I don't know. You might have time to get into it. I don't know. The students, upon completing their lessons, will become wizards, you know, Hogwarts, or more closely related to shamans. It is said that they know how to control the weather talk to animals, transform into animals, myths, etc., and they know other dark magic, specifically emphasizing in physicality tests and mastery of nature. It is said that either the devil, a dragon, or King Solomon himself teaches these students, and he chooses one of the ten students to be his own, and they are gifted with immortality, and they are taught how to do the darker things of their rules. It is thought that this school takes place in Transylvania. Nobody knows the exact location. It is rumored to be somewhere in the mountains, underground, or even in another dimension. We kind of talked about that weird forest. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that an interesting correlation if that had something to do with it? 
Yeah. Are you going to get into that a little bit? I kind of want to, but I, I didn't really get to do a lot of research on it. And that I think would be a really good episode in itself. Okay. We'll save it then. Yeah. Uh, For listeners out there, if you are really intrigued, go type in weird Romanian forest and start digging into it. You're going to be really astonished by the things that happen out there. Very weird. You you said morbid, the morbid Morbid podcast did an episode. I haven't listened to it yet. I kind of don't want to, though, because if we're going to cover it, yeah, if we're going to cover it or you are going to cover it, I don't want to hear it yet. (laughs) I just remember seeing something going around the internet with like an image of the circular open space in the middle of the forest. And yeah, so I don't want to spoil it for myself. Oh, it would be creepy. So shout out to the ladies at Morbid because it was so creepy. I was doing my research on this on this particular recording and that came out a couple days after I found stuff on this forest and I'm like what are the odds? There's been some really interesting interesting synchronicities yes. as we have been well when we started the podcast that's a whole other story and kind yes. of in, in researching different topics there have been some really crazy synchronicities which you and i will talk about at some point offline (laughs) i yeah i really think we should get into like an origin story for ourselves yeah definitely well yeah anyways i don't i don't mean to derail (laughs) you continue that's all right that's all right so we have to remember bram he did the research but he only referenced this twice in the book and it's kind of weird because the first instance of uh, referencing the Shalomancy took place in chapter 16, where he writes, The Draculas were, as Arminius, a great and noble race. Though now and again were Scions who were held by their Kovals that have had dealings with the evil one. They learned his secrets in the Shalomancy amongst the mountains over Lake Hermannstadt, where the devil claims the tenth scholar as his due. And then he referenced it again in chapter 23, where he wrote, he dared even to attend the Shalomancy, and there was no branch of knowledge of his time that he did not essay. Now, I tried doing further research on this, and there's not a lot of sources out there that reference the Shalomancy. There is an Irish or a Scottish writer back in the 1800s that had briefly went into research on the Shalomancy, and it's a really hard resource to find, especially now because there have been some video games that have come out with the same name, so that kind of masks up a lot of stuff that you would find on it. So all around, Dracula is a horrifying classic novel that is amazing, but what makes it creepier is the real-life components that have gone into it. What's even more mysterious is Bram Stoker's past. So here's a little fun fact that needs to be said about him. He had a very mysterious childhood. And he was a very ill child, like bedridden ill. And he miraculously recovered one day at the age of seven. Hmm. A decade later, he was a rugby champion. Okay. How do you go from bedridden to rugby? In a decade. Do you know what it was that he, what caused him to be bedridden? Um, 
not really. It just kind of said mysterious illness. And I've been trying to dig into it. There's not a lot. Where they really discovered this was in a notebook that they found of his notes. Mm -hmm. And I think since his childhood, he has been kind of obsessed with these different odd things in life. And I think that the concept of the vampire came to him way before he started doing research for the book. So whether or not he really knew the Harkers, if they were real people, if things happened, if he was somehow connected, that would be really, really cool to find out. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Ancestry.com. Yeah, Anybody real. out there can pull some information <laughs> on the Harkers just to Give see if that's deets. real. Yeah, exactly. And then that just kind of, the, it begs the question, like, what the hell happened? What changed? And um, why was... Why was Bram Stoker so obsessed with writing Dracula and having it come out a certain way to where he, as a writer, when you go to get things edited, yes, it's easy to pout and be like, no, I'm going to keep that scene. But no, this was different. Like Bram was advocating to keep everything that he wrote because he considered it to be a true account. So did he try telling the truth through the guises of Vlad Tepish to cover up his tracks on what really happened? Or was this just one of the best marketing ploys in all of history when it came to trying to publish a book? And smart move. Definitely. Smart if that move. was, if that was, and it's, I want to think that it actually really happened. Right. <laughs> I want to believe. I want to believe. I want to trust the man. I think there was something. I think there was something there. But that's just like the nerd in me being like, there's more to this than we know. But to kind of end this on a mysterious note, I'm going to take a quote from Dracula that says, there are mysteries which men can only guess at, which age by age, they may solve only in part. I like that. And here we are. Just <laughs> how many years later? How many still years trying later? trying to figure it out? Yeah. 130 some, 140 some. It makes me wonder if the guy who has the original manuscript, if he'll ever release if he does have the first 101 pages if at some point in his life he'll be like ah oh, this is too this is too cool not to share but maybe there's also something you want to know an interesting fact right yeah <laughs> i will give yeah. you a little uh ditty on that um there is an author out there called dacre stoker and yeah. he is actually He's the great grand nephew of bram stoker he and one of his friends, Ian Holt, I believe is his name. He's also an, an author. He asked Paul if he could review the manuscript and the notes that Bram had written in the margins on the manuscript. He was allowed into a locked room with a security person for a limited amount of time to take notes and observe the manuscript. They were allowed to take notes on specific things. And let's just say that Dacre Stoker came out with a book a few years ago called Dracul, which he had written based on Bram's childhood. If you get a, the edition that I have of Dracul actually has pictures of some of the notes that Bram had in the margins and they're fucking crazy. Whether that was how much of it was true, how much of it was literally just him 
doing the author thing where it's like, I had this epitome on high of what to write for little phrases and did that, whether it was true or just some very creative phrasing for later. Um, it exists. And whether Dracul is put in as fiction, they took some liberties with it, but it's a little interesting to read about Bram Stoker's past. And I want to know how much of it is actually true. If you haven't read Dracul by Dacre Stoker, please check it out. It is amazing. It starts off a little slow, but I guarantee you that as you keep reading it, it's freaking awesome. Is it wrong that I would love to see a heist movie about (laughs) (laughs) someone like rappelling down into this um, locked room to, (laughs) and not even steal it, just like put on your white gloves and look at the first 101 pages. That's the heist movie I want to (laughs) see. I mean, I'm not going to say I'd do it, but I'd do it. (laughs) <laughs> but then they'd be like what is all the there's like these watermarks all over it yeah sorry i drooled over it i'm just nerding <laughs> really hard <laughs> that's pretty but crazy I, yeah it, it's very weird and this this book is pretty new and i have a feeling that dacre isn't really done with doing more research on bram there's a lot that we don't know about him and about the origin of the novel but there's a lot of mystery and it, the more you dig into it, the weirder and crazier and more addicting it becomes. I kind of want to look at the the case that you mentioned that he drew from with the ship. I want to dig into that now more. Yes. Yes. What is it? The Demetri you um, said? Demeter? Yes. The real, the Demeter is the real, the real name of the ship. Demetri was what he called it in the book oh i'm sorry no in real life the ship was called the dimitri in the book it was the Demeter. okay yeah i want to dig into that for sure yes and there were a couple survivors on board uh, in real life and there is a couple of news articles out there that give a vague account from them and they are weird hmm They said that at one point, it's like they lost control of the ship and it was kind of just doing its own thing. And a storm came out of nowhere. Well, if you can control the weather. Yeah. He's making it stormy. Hmm. Yeah. It's it's a wild time. So for all of you out there that are like, oh my gosh, we have to hear about more vampires and Dracula. All right. I hope you learned something today. (laughs) Well, let's talk about the elephant in the room before we end this thing. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) So obviously, you know, we have to ask the question, are you team Edward (laughs) or team Jacob? And (sighs) the Twilight series, I have to say, is one of my guilty pleasures because I probably rewatch it every year. And I know that that's... I mean, say what you want about it, but it has a place in my heart for sure. (laughs) No judgments. No judgments here. I have to go with Edward. And after I gushed for the last 45 minutes, I think you know why. I just, I have a thing for vampires. They're one of my absolute favorite classic darker creatures and legends. 
There is just so much to them. They're one of the more intricate creatures that are documented throughout history. And it, it is just a big draw for me. Yeah, right. I would say I would say Team Edward, but I would have loved to have seen the person who was originally supposed to play that role. Do you know who that was? No. It was supposed to be Henry Cavill. What? So the chest hair part, I totally told you, <laughs> like, if Edward had a little bit more chest hair and, like, a beard, I would have been more Team Edward. Ooh. I still am. I like yeah. the animalistic side of Jacob. If you could have Henry Cavill in his younger days, he was too old. Eventually, when they finally got around to casting, he was, like, 25. So he was too old mm. to play the teenage role. But Henry Cavill... In his younger days, <laughs> I would have been a hundred percent team Edward. <laughs> well, I think we have to kind of bring this up now because we had we had chatted about this prior. There's this weird uh, we're just aging ourselves, I know, but there's like this weird thing about crushes and whatnot. I am into tall, lanky string bean men with long hair and amazing jawlines. it has never changed and suddenly i turn fucking 30 and something happened to where i'm like "Mm, give me that thickness like i don't know what the (laughs) fuck it is but i'm over here going what the it's your ovaries (laughs) it's probably yeah it's probably the ovaries the ovaries are just fucking with me yeah i'm sitting over here like i've never been into you know I'm not into like overly muscled men. Sorry for those of you out there who are or actually are muscly men, not just attracted to them. But then suddenly it was like a switch. And suddenly I'm like, hmm, that chest hair though. (laughs) It's the hormone (laughs) shift, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) But I think I would have been way more on board for Henry. And Henry's always been cute attractive but i tell you when he was the witcher mm, that sealed the deal (laughs) henry for the win (laughs) oh what a way to wrap the episode oh i know i'm sorry that you all had to deal with uh the weird uh (laughs) we turned into teenagers all of a sudden we did we were showing our ankles and it got kind of (laughs) weird Well, I think we should let people know where to find us. And uh, probably the best place to find us now is the Facebook group is up and running. Yes. Come and let and me find get, us. Let me get you all the the socials here because there are oh, yes. a few. Okay. So hang on one second. Okay. So yeah, you can find us on our Facebook group, which is if you just type in the Facebook macabre podcast, you'll find us. And we have our own website, which is just type in macabrepod.com. And with the website, we would love to have you submit any macabre topics that you want us to cover. We're going to be doing a segment on hometown macabre. So anything that's happened in your hometown that would fit under the umbrella of macabre. We want to hear your stories. We want to share your stories on the podcast. 
And you can also send us an email. We have an email, a Gmail. It's pretty easy to remember. It's that's so macabre at gmail.com. Heck yeah. We really want to hear from you. We know that there's a lot of weird shit that happens and we know that you have heard something, if not experienced something. (laughs) So yes, tell us. (laughs) And I I think when we get to the point of being able to read listener stories, it will allow us to have more content because right now we're doing like a bi-weekly episode. We'd like to do more, but obviously we both have full-time jobs and lives and, you know, it's a lot of work to research and I'm by no means a historian or a professional researcher. So the more you can share with us, then the more we can give back to you. <laughs> yeah, agreed. We work hard for that money, but we want to work hard for you too. <laughs> we work hard for not money. <laughs> yeah, well, yes. We have full-time jobs, but you know, this one, mm, no. <laughs> this, is, this is for purely for fun and a passion yeah. for weirdness. And the macabre. Agreed. All right. Well, what do we we have coming up? Um, so this was D is for Dracula, and yeah. I'm going to be taking over the next episode. We're going to talk about embalming, body yes. preservation throughout history, and the fact that everyone rots eventually in most cases. Oh, I cannot wait to hear what you have in store. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening. You've made it this far. We hope to see you again. Yes. Bye, friends. Bye. Thank you.